Good evening, and welcome to those of you who have just joined us. It's good to have you here. I'd like to begin with uh, the refuges and the precepts, so if you'd like to join me with that, it's on page four. Please repeat after me in the Pali scriptural language. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato. Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddhang Sarananga Chami Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dhamang Sarananga Chami Dhamang Sarananga Chami Sangang Sarananga Chami Sangang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Dhamang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Dhamang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Sanghang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Sanghang Sarananga Tatiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Dhamang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Dhamang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Sanghang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Sanghang Sarananga Chami This completes the going to the three refuges. Please repeat after me in the Pali scriptural language. 
Panyatipada Ramani Sakapadam Samadhi Ami Panyatipada Ramani Sakapadam Samadhi Ami Adina Dana Ramani Sakapadam Samadhi Ami Adina Sakapadam Samadhi Musavara Ramani Sakapadam Samadhi Ami Musavara Ramani Sakapadam Samadhi Ami Sura Mreya Maja Paratana Ramani Sakapadam Samadhi Ami Sura Maja Padatana Ramani Sakapadam Samadhi Please repeat after me in English. I undertake the precept to refrain from sources of livelihood that bring harm to other beings. I undertake the precept to refrain from sources of livelihood that bring harm to other beings. I undertake the precept to refrain from acting out of ill will or taking satisfaction in the misfortune of others. I undertake the precept to refrain from acting out of ill will or taking satisfaction in the misfortune of others. I undertake the precept to act with loving kindness and compassion in all my relationships with others. I undertake the precept to act with loving kindness and compassion in all my relationships with others. I undertake the precept to live with mindfulness and follow the Eightfold Path through daily study, meditation, and reflection. I undertake the precept to live with mindfulness and follow the Eightfold Path through daily study, meditation, and reflection. With these ten precepts, virtue becomes the vehicle for a happy existence. Through virtue, good fortune is attained. Virtue is the vehicle for liberation. Let us purify our virtue. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from ill will. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings be truly happy. Thank you very much. So yes, it's good to have you all here this evening. And so, I'll just begin by asking whether anyone has any questions or anything on their mind. Well, first, just a totally technical question. Where's your study at? <laughs> where, where are we oh. meeting for the... Oh, for the... Uh, the yeah. Yeah. Um, you know where the new house is. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it's on the side facing 
here. Facing here? Oh, okay. And there's some sliding glass doors on, on that side there. And that's, yeah, I, saw it. I thought that might have been it there. Yeah, that's where it is. Any other questions? Well, I have, I have a quote that I like that I wanted you to comment on if you don't mind. Okay. Um, it's from uh, Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness. It's a book by uh, someone whose name I can't pronounce. Anyway. Hanapola <laughs> Gunaratna. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Watching the mind with a gentle, open attitude allows the mind to settle down and come to rest. Trying to control the mind or trying to control the way that one's spiritual practice will unfold just stirs up more agitation and suffering. That's it. Oh, great quote. Yes. Yes. So... Repeat the first part of that again, right, if you don't that's, mind. that's the best part. Watching the mind with a gentle, open attitude allows the mind to settle down and come to rest. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that's, uh, that's exactly what we're trying to do when we try to meditate. And, of course, what we immediately confront is the, the tendency to want to accomplish this by controlling the mind. And, of course, what, what you discover, well, at least what you discover if you are observant enough, is that this has just the opposite effect. It agitates the mind, it produces feelings of dissatisfaction and disappointment and frustration and uh, failure and uh, inadequacy and all of these other sorts of mental states and their accompanying thoughts that agitate the mind produce a state of just the opposite state of calm and peacefulness but a state of discomfort and, and so forth and so just just having that experience and that recognition can show you so much about what is ordinarily going on that you know when when you sit down to meditate the only way that you can be successful is to let go of that desire to control things and have things be a particular way and just create the necessary conditions so that that can actually happen. And in our lives, we're attached to things being in particular ways, and we, we have a perception of something that we want or need or a way that things should be or we'll be happy if they are that way or things will be better if they're that way or, or, or not the way they are. One part of this is just the simple non-acceptance of the way things are. And then the second part of this is trying to, because of that, trying to make things different. 
And what we're really needing to learn is to accept what is. And accepting what is says that's obviously not the same thing as necessarily wanting things to always be that way. They're not going to always be that way anyway. Everything always does change. And uh, but the fir- the very first step in a positive way of uh, dealing with what is is just simply to accept it because what is right now that that's what is and then if you can get beyond the compulsion to control then it's possible that you can in in a much more in a, in a much more open and gentle way understand what is what is necessary to do in the moment in order to have a different kind of future if you wish to have a different kind of future but in the process like in meditation you have to you have to continue over and over again every single breath accepting what is you accept what is. Your mind wanders. You accept that your mind has wandered and you bring it back to the breath. And then the mind will wander again. And when that happens again, you accept that it's wandered again and bring it back. And you do this in a, a, a very gentle way. Just gently, comfortably, not becoming agitated because your mind's not doing what you want it to do. And in that way, you create the conditions that lead to your mind at some uh, point beginning to calm down, beginning to quiet down, not wandering so much, and eventually not wandering at all. So that's a that's a very wonderful quote. You know, it applies to everything in life. Um, you may often find yourself in a situation, and your reaction is that you don't want things to be the way they are. And this is a judgment made by your mind. This is ideas. This is thoughts. This is. This is a whole projection that your mind is is making and, and judging and finding uh, wanting. And so your mind produces emotions, mental states that are uncomfortable to you, that spur you to some kind of action to change things and make things different. But the problem is that those emotions and those mental states very often get in the way of you achieving the result that you want to. Not to mention the fact that they 
rob you of any sense of happiness and satisfaction that you may have in the present moment. Was I choosing the pleasant feeling and not accepting? <laughs> I, I was a little confused. You know, with equanimity, aren't we supposed to react the same way with pleasant things and unpleasant things, not grab pleasant things and not push away the unpleasant things? Mm-hmm. And yet I, I found myself going back to the breath and sort of coming home to this sort of pleasant feeling. So I don't know. I don't know if that was a good question or not. <laughs> oh well, no. It's a very good question. It's uh, it's a revealing question. Um, yes, it's. Uh, <clears throat> of course, it's the right thing to do. You're supposed to be meditating on your breath, and that will produce a, a pleasant feeling when, when, you know, when the circumstances are right, when the conditions are right, then. Uh, Pleasure is a part of meditation. What you want to do is to develop true equanimity, not pretend to have equanimity when you don't, not force yourself to behave as though you have equanimity. So, you know, the place you want to get to is where... uh, if you have a pain in the neck, it's just a pain in the neck. It doesn't upset you. It doesn't bother you. Uh, if that's what's there, that's what's there. If there is pleasure in uh, in the meditation that comes from the settled state of the mind and the focusing on the breath, then there's pleasure in the meditation. And you enjoy it, but you're not attached to it. You don't have to chase after it. You don't have to feel badly when it's not there. You just accept what is. Well, right now, there's a pain here or there. And that's what it is. That's when you have equanimity, a pain is a pain. But most of the time, most of the pains we experience are so much more than just a pain. They're all of the suffering that our mind generates through its own resistance. As soon as you start saying, I don't want that pain there, then it, it becomes a much more unpleasant situation than if you're just sitting there and there happens to be a pain. I think my confusion was, I may have subtly been making that pleasant feeling, 
it felt like it. I felt like I could go to the breath and be a certain way and that pleasant feeling would come back again. So I guess I was uh, grabbing it a little bit or trying to have it. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're at the place where you still uh, tend to grasp it, pleasant feeling, then accept that. That's, that's where you are. You can recognize that you're doing it. You can see that it's happening. You know. But you're supposed to be meditating on the breath. And if meditation on the breath produces a pleasant feeling, it produces a pleasant feeling. And so, you know, you, you, don't, you don't need to feel bad about it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite all right. And if you find yourself grasping to that, uh, then just notice that that's what's happening. But you don't have to make it not happen. It's like if you've got a pain, you don't really have to do anything about it. You know. Thank you. You're, you're, you're welcome. Yes. Yeah. Just relax and, and enjoy and let the let let the meditation produce all of the pleasure that it happens to produce, all of the comfort, all the peace. The only, the only way that that's a problem, the only way that it can be a problem, is if your attachment to it leads you to be dissatisfied and unhappy when it's not there. Because there, there's going to be times that it's not there. And also, there is much, much more yet to come uh, by comparison with which uh, the... Uh, the pleasantness that you're talking about, um, you can easily afford to uh, to let go of it when it passes away, because there's so, so much more to come. In terms of much more profound states of peace and of joy and happiness, and, but also uh, much more to come in the way of. Uh, personal understanding and gaining in wisdom and uh, in learning the lessons that carry over to every other part of your life. So it, the, the, only, the only thing that would be a mistake is, is to cling to such a minor reward and deprive yourself of the much greater rewards that are yet to come. But in the present moment, if if uh, if pleasure is arising, that's great. You be with the pleasure that's there. If you feel your mind grasping to it, you recognize it, and you recognize the grasping, and you uh, recognize that it's something that uh, won't necessarily serve you in the long run. But you don't try to squash it or drive it away or prevent it from being there. The real way of overcoming any kind of grasping, and you already know what I'm going to say because I've said it with regard to so many other things, is to simply be aware of it, simply look at it with mindful awareness and recognize that it's there. Recognize that it's there, recognize where it comes from, 
and also uh, even if not in the immediate moment through the ongoing awareness uh, you'll you'll recognize uh, the unbeneficialness of continuing to grasp and hold. And Can I ask a question? Yeah. <clears throat> what, I, I, not, I don't know your name, so... Peggy. Peggy. Um, what, what is that sensation of pleasure for you that you think you manufacture? I'm curious how you interpret pleasure. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I mean, I haven't thought about it exactly. It's just, I think it's it's maybe um, relief from pain and and uh, tension, mostly. Mm. So you think your your mind is manufacturing the pleasure? You were talking that we were wondering whether you were well, making it happen. I yeah, I said. thought I was sort of making it happen, but. I mean, I didn't mind it, and uh, <coughs> I think um, when you said not to have phony mind, uh, what is it? Don't, don't pretend <laughs> to have equanimity. Yeah, <laughs> don't pretend to have equanimity. I think that sort of answered my problem there, actually, because I thought I was supposed to have equanimity, but if I don't have it, I don't have it. I'll just have it when I have <laughs> it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like getting into the classic spin of the mind. Yeah, yeah that's right. Against each other. <laughs> you, you've got it. And, and you see, the equanimity, really, the pleasure you were talking about is, is the, the relief of, you know, this, the, 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 the contentment, the relaxation, the peace, the, the, the not suffering, uh, the non-agitation, all of these things. And that's the thing about equanimity, is that um, equanimity isn't neutral feeling. Neutral feeling is something different. Equanimity is neutral reaction, not, not pushing away, not grasping onto. And the feeling of equanimity is one of ease, a great ease and uh, contentment of not needing to struggle against, not e- not needing to chase after, not needing to make something either happen or stop happening. It's it's it really is, uh, it it is the satisfaction of acceptance, of just being. Being rather than becoming. We deny ourselves the pleasure of being, the, the, uh, the exquisite perfection of being by abandoning it for the sake of becoming something that is not and that may very well never be. And so when to whatever degree, to whatever degree that you can uh, can stop doing that, then you will enjoy and appreciate it, the uh, exquisite delight of just of just being.
so many different ways of saying the same thing. You know, the I'll give an example of something that just happened yesterday. What's that? I'll give an example of something that happened to me yesterday in mm-hmm. that sense. Okay. I was riding a motorcycle through the Chiricahuas, and it was the total letting go on a dirt road, no tension, no nothing, of absolutely floating through coming through where you just felt it one and the machine and you did this dance and you just allowed it to be. Mm-hmm. It was the most thrilling thing and it was exactly what we're talking about mm-hmm. now. If it was to slip or slide or something, somehow there was confidence that it would just be okay. Yeah. But of course, if, if you, yeah, that's a very good point there, that last, because the other thing that could happen is the thought could come into your mind, yes. what if I slip or slide? And it's all lost, it's yes. destroyed. The slip and slide hasn't happened, but you've lost you've lost that perfect joy. And not only that... Well, the perfect joy is being in harmony with the yeah. whole situation. I think not only that, it seems to me very likely that what happens when the idea of what if I were to slip or slide comes in, at that point, if you did slip, you're less capable of dealing with it effectively. You're more likely to, you know, instead of being in that place of harmony and, and movement and 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 going with hap- with what's happening in just the right way, that that part of your mind that projected the thought and has the fear and that doesn't have the competence to respond would be in the way. I think that's what happens so often in our lives. You know, we, we worry about, you know, we worry about our relationships, you know. Uh, we worry about uh, our jobs, we worry about our future, we worry about this or that, you know. And as a result of those concerns, when something does happen, we're not even as effective. So, I mean, n- not only do we waste a huge amount of time uh, being worried or being concerned or, or at least not being happy because of concerns about things that we think will happen, most of which never do. I mean, that's the important thing is just to, if you come to the place of recognizing that most of the things that we worry about never happen anyway. And the things that do happen are the ones that we didn't think of. <laughs> Is that not true? Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose the only thing is that you could take the logic of that and say, well, if the things that do happen are the ones that I don't worry about, the more of my worry about, the more I have more possibilities I've eliminated. <laughs> but no, that, that well, and, and a machine is something, whatever it is, is something you have to control. All right. Ultimately, it needs you to make it work and run, or yeah. make a car, or whatever it is. Yeah. And when you're in complete sense of harmony with it, there's a interesting that happens because you've let go all those preconditions, those mm-hmm. ideas that you're going to get tight. You're just totally in a relaxed mode. Mm-hmm. And if there's wind or something, you just move with it. You don't even think about it. The body just reacts in harmony with it. Which is really what we come down to looking for in life, right? 
is how that's right. Yeah. Goes with us yeah. and how we sail with it. It's like a, what uh, in athletics is referred to as being in the zone, right? Where you just yeah. it just it just unfolds and you're yeah. you're you're there and. Really, that's uh, that's what we're after. We're we're, we're after living living life in the zone. The hot spot, sweet spot. Meditation is learning to do that, and I think you, I, I think you all can see. How to the degree that you know your mind, your personality is making you try to control uh, and be in charge in your manip- in, in your meditation to manipulate. But it, it's the same thing that's happening in the rest of your life as well and getting in the way and the degree to which you you know uh, a, a lot of the questions that people have in their meditation is am I doing it right am I doing it right this comes up all of the time you know this is what am, am I doing it right and we do that in our lives too am I doing it right Am I living my life the way I'm supposed to? Am I the kind of person I'm supposed to be? And if only I could find the book with the page on it that says what I'm supposed to be, then <laughs> I didn't know if I was doing it right. The thing is that that page hasn't been written yet. You're writing it. <laughs> You're writing it as you go along. You had something, Terry, that you... Well, I was just thinking of a couple of things. One, I was thinking, though, if you go chasing around after being in the zone, it's kind of just a recipe for being miserable, too, though. The, the, which? If you go chasing after being in the zone, that's just like if, yes, if you go chasing after, miserable. Yeah, if you go chasing after anything, you... You know, the fact is that you... You can't really force these things. You aren't really in control. I think that's one of the most important things that you can discover is that you are absolutely never really in control. You you do make choices. You can make choices. You know, you... Uh, there, there is this uh, element of choice and intention that pervades our life. And through those choices, we can create the conditions for things to happen one way rather than another. But we are just absolutely never in control. And we need to, we need to recognize that. Now, when you recognize that you're never in control, then that's very, very liberating. Well, it's liberating if you can get over the feeling like there's an I that needs to be in control. If you feel like there's an I that needs to be in control, then it's not liberating. It makes you absolutely... It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. <laughs> oh, but I need to be in control. How could this be? This is the worst of all possible things. But, you know, 
that's the way it is. And, and, a, and a big part of that too is is that uh, we will we will sometimes come to understand and expect that we're not going to be able to in control, be in control of the world, but we don't quite so easily get over the idea that we shouldn't be in control of ourselves, our minds. You know, we think of ourselves as this uh, uh, this entity, and we should, I should be in control of myself, or I should be in control of my mind. And you're you're really uh, that's a, that's as, as completely impossible as being in control of the world. It's all it's it's exactly the same principle. You can. Through your your decisions, uh, create conditions, and that will profoundly influence the way your mind functions, what your mind does, and that's what we're after. If your mind, if your mind is producing unhappiness, I mean that's a product of your mind. It doesn't come from anywhere else. One hundred percent of all of your unhappiness is manufactured by your mind. It's an emotion. It's a mental state. All of your emotions are manufactured by your mind. All of your feelings, positive and negative, are manufactured by your mind. And, you know, if you're miserable, you can't just, you're not in control. You can't make yourself stop being miserable. You know how it feels when you are really miserable and somebody says, Oh, cheer up. <laughs> how does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah. as, as if, you know, Oh, good idea. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, I'll just stop being unhappy. I'll just stop being afraid. I'll just stop grieving. Yeah, but this seems kind of like, to try to do that to your mind seems kind of cruel in a certain way. To try to make yourself, okay, I'll just stop whatever this feeling is. Yeah, it seems cruel to your mind well, to, to try well, to force it, it, yourself. Well, it is cruel because then what it will do is add even more frustration, uh, grief and failure onto whatever it is you're already dealing with because it won't work. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, although you can... Uh, you can sometimes you can sometimes make yourself think that you've done it for a period of two or three minutes or something like that, but then it doesn't stay. Yeah. I kind of well, sorry, are you gonna, I was going to ask you a question, but I don't want to interrupt. Now go ahead. I guess it kind of relates because a couple things. Because the, there's that pressure, like you were talking about. So people say cheer up. People definitely want you to. It's for them <laughs> as much as anything else, I think. Well, so absolutely. There's really yeah. that pressure like that from people. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was kind of feeling like, and I don't know how it relates to what was going on, but I had talked to a friend on the phone the other day, and she was talking about something that was really awful. And it just really, like, 
hit me for some reason. I just kind of really identified with that scene she was describing. And so then I was just having all these intense feelings of being disgusted and angry and kind of the despair feeling because it's just like, that's definitely a scene I don't really want to describe, but that makes you think that there's no need for devils because there's people. But anyway. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm not sure what that all relates to because I feel like... I don't know. I mean, how does that relate to like accepting things and stuff? I certainly wouldn't say that what happened was like, oh yeah, that was fine, you know. Um... Well, accepting isn't, oh, that's fine, it's, oh, that's that's what it is. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm trying to figure out about, I mean, I think there's, like, the social pressure to, like, not talk about that kind of stuff, and get past it, and leave Mm -hmm. it behind. To me, that almost feels like a kind of betrayal of people who have gone through that or are going through that, Mm -hmm. to do that, you know. So I'm kind of, like, in this in-between state of, like, well, what happens now, you know? feeling of yeah I'm not sure how to describe it better than that at the moment well the important thing is if you can remember that all of these emotions all of these feelings that come up are products of the mind and the mind is producing them because basically you've uh, you've created the 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 program and provided the information and so your mind processes the information and it produces the result you've programmed it to which is the emotional state that you experience and the feeling that you experience but then I mean that makes no sense to me because there's other people in the world who program people what's that? <laughs> I said that doesn't make any sense to me because there's other people in the world who program people. I mean, this description my friend was in was like, where somebody basically forced her to go against something that she, she felt like she was like threatened and she had to do something that she really didn't want to do and pretend that she wanted to do something that she didn't. And it was like really destructive. So I don't know. I mean, it's like other people do things that affect you and it seems like it's not like I just decided, okay, I'm just going to be this way because I just feel like it. You know what no, I mean? It's like it's like other people yeah. I'm not saying you never de- you, you never decide, way. oh, I'm just going to be this way. I mean, you can decide you can decide that you want to be, but it, most of the time it won't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that... I guess it sounds funny when you say that because it makes it sound like there's no outside world that has any impact. It makes it sound like it's all just like you're in this little bubble and... It well, sounds really weird to me when you I, say I'm that. I'm not stuff. saying that. I'm saying how you how you react how you react to the outside world. How your mind responds is determined by uh, the way you've conditioned and and I use the word program. The way you've programmed it too. I mean, some some of our basic program we come into this world with. But we've long ago built massive structures of personality programming uh, on on that limited innate foundation. You talked about the way that some people control other people. That's how they do it. If they can recognize, if they can recognize the things that drive you, then they know how to pull your strings. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, how could somebody make you do something 
that you don't want to do. Well, because she Only thought she was going to die, basically. It was like a really intense story. She thought she was going to get killed if she didn't. Well, yeah. It's like a super intense See, story. See, what, the, mean, what you really do literally did feel like that to, to, to make one person do something that they don't want to mm-hmm. do, what another person does is, is invokes something that uh, they want to happen even less. Mm-hmm. Or, or else something that they do want to happen and they're very, very attached to. Mm-hmm. Let's see, that, that's see. Uh, that's how people manipulate each other all the time. Whether you know, uh, whether we're talking about you know, gross scale of manipulation, or we're talking about the subtle things that everybody does to each other all of the time. But when one person knows another person well enough to know, you know, we use the word language push push their buttons, you know, mm-hmm. like pull their strings and things like that. Um, you you can manipulate them. Uh, I mean, the simplest form is if you, I know you don't want to do this, but if you don't do it, I'll shoot you. You know, well, hey, there you got a choice. <laughs> it was almost that bad, actually. I, I, I'd rather do what I don't want to do than get shot, so then you do it. You There's know? some sort of law of attraction going on there. <laughs> Even to get in this situation, you've attracted it. No, she was eight years old, and she did not attract this. Well, somewhere in the universe. Well, that's that's making excuses because you don't want to deal with bad stuff. I think, from my perspective, that's what that kind of talk is. But anyway. But the the important thing, I mean, we're not really concerned with the fact that there are many cases in the world of people trying to control other people and how they do it, but how we can change the way our mind reacts and responds and how we can influence that in a, in a positive way. When you experience unhappiness, then like I said, that emotion, that's, that's created by your mind. It doesn't come from anywhere else. And you know that because uh, very often what makes you unhappy, uh, you know, it, it makes you unhappy because of other factors that are related to it that exist in your mind at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess it depends on what your perspective is, because there's like physical things that happen too that, I mean, your mind is physical in a way, and things can happen that change your brain, things that can happen to you that can change your brain and stuff, so I don't know, it's complicated, <laughs> it's not simple, I don't think it's as simple as a lot of people say it is. <laughs> I guess. I don't know, it's confusing. It's like we have... No, 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 we've been trying to fit together two maps of the world that don't fit. <laughs> That's why I'm being confused, because it seems like... I'd say that that's Well, in a true. way, I mean, you could say it's created by the mind, but then on the other hand, it's like... I don't know, that seems to have all these implications of control and stuff, at least in the way that 
Western people think of it, and maybe that's where all the confusion is coming in. Because it seems to have all these implications, like, oh, you just made it up, oh, well, just change your mind, it'll be different. It seems to have all those kinds of implications. No, that's, that's totally, that's, that's absolutely not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Very, very much not the case. I'm, I'm saying that you, what your mind is doing in this moment, you can't change. That comes out of the past. It comes out of causes and conditions. Mm-hmm. And those causes and conditions arise out of your past actions, your past intentions, your past decisions. What you control, though, I mean, you're the, what, you, what you experience in the future will be the result of what you do now. You cannot, you know, if, if your mind is such that it's, you're in a state of unhappiness mm. right now, you are not, unless you have a time machine and you can go back and change the patterning of, of your mind and, and the behaviors that led to the circumstances and all the other myriad of factors that brought you to that point, then you're going to have to accept, accept that the situation is what it is and my mind's reaction to it is what it is. What you don't have to accept, though, is it will always be that way. Mm-hmm. Then when you talked about two different... Uh, Maps of of reality or what, what? I'm not sure what you said. Yeah, it's confusing because I think I think that this yeah. like when you say something's created by your mind, in sort of the Western concept, then it has all these implications. Like, oh, just get over it. Then well, just get rid of it. You can just control it. Like, just make yourself happy. Yeah. That kind of stuff, which isn't what you're saying. That, but it was sort that of doesn't. Those I don't. That that doesn't work. And and actually, I don't think any reasonable person really believes that that would work. I've talked to people that believe it. Maybe they're not. But the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they'll learn better. Um, but the different the different maps that don't drive is there. There's the map of reality that says there's a world out there, mm-hmm. uh, and that world is uh, consists of all these self-existent things that are following their own trajectories and are uh, more or less immutable and, and unchangeable, and there is a self, a me, and I am this kind of person, uh, and I'm likewise more or less uh, immutable. And when you look at things that way, you're stuck. And then you start saying, well, I'm unhappy because this happened to me. I'm unhappy because I find myself in these circumstances, you know, uh, or, you know, and the other part of it is I'm happy because this happened to me, and therefore you feel like to be happy you need to make that happen to you again. And that is, that is the map of reality that pretty much everybody normally functions according to, and that's the one that doesn't work. That's one that ultimately doesn't work. You just feel like you know you're a, you're a victim of the universe. Then you know. <clears throat> but, yeah. but if you're if you're a young, very young person and you're being controlled by somebody, mm-hmm. and you are feeling victimized mm-hmm. and you're feeling in fear. Yeah. So therefore, how can you be? Is that what the is is? Is to be in that fear and. Uh, victim, you know, being a victim at the, in the situation, not being able to escape it for the fear of 
not being able to exist. That's that's what is. And if you're a young child, you probably don't have the resources to deal with it in mm-hmm. any other way. Uh, young children and animals don't necessarily have the same resources to understand and affect uh, what happens. Right. So what happens in that situation? This is, becomes imprinted in their life as they're growing up. It becomes it. imprinted, and then as they grow older, uh, that imprint is going to keep on having an effect until, until they, uh, unless and until they acquire the wisdom to start undoing it and to eliminate mm-hmm. that imprint. That's a program. You know, those programs, you start out with certain innate programs. They're fairly simple. If you're a young child and, and you're acted upon in such a way that it triggers them, then those basic programs of fear, uh, withdrawal, uh, dissociation, things like that, they'll be activated, uh, they'll make an imprint, and uh, and until something changes, you know, what will happen is in every similar situation they'll just get reinforced and get stronger and stronger and stronger. So, and essentially that's what happens to all of us, even in the most perfect childhood. We are exposed to conditions and circumstances that create in us some unwholesome tendencies that the, we will then reinforce and perpetuate. And you spoke of the law of attraction. That's really a lot of that. We, these seeds are planted, and then as they, as they grow and develop, as we grow and develop, we keep reproducing the circumstances that, that repeat these patterns. And we keep putting ourselves in these situations, and we keep bringing ourselves in contact with the same kinds of people, you know. And, uh, and and it's true for both the wholesome and the unwholesome, but the problems come with the unwholesome. And the wholesome, it's wonderful. When a young child is exposed to influences that create positive tendencies, to, then that too, you know, that too grows and develops and becomes a part of the of the personality structure and what we would say the karma of the person. Children that are exposed to influences that uh, tend them towards uh, generosity, happiness, forgiveness, and things like this uh, benefit enormously because the law of attraction will keep putting them in circumstances where, you know, like brings like and, and those tendencies get reinforced. But even the same child, they can have other unwholesome influences, and they'll work the same way. And so we'll arrive as adults with some mixture of these things. And what we are is a composite of those. I mean, as an adult, one runs into all sorts of difficult things. The which? As an adult, one runs into all sorts of difficult things. Well, as a, as as a living entity, we run into all sorts of difficult things. Right, and I don't know that one necessarily brings them on oneself, but one does run into them. <laughs> and so the more you know, alert and, one and is to what's going on, the less you're likely to run into them. But this and, 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 and then there's no need to suggest that you bring them on yourself. 
you know. If you are uh, completely sober, sober, wide awake, driving mindfully in a fully intact vehicle and very, being very careful and observant and everything, and a drunk driver swerves and runs into you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a rock falls off the cliff. If somebody were to say to you, well, you brought that on yourself, I mean, it would be nonsense. Well, what does the law of attraction mean then? Because I thought that was pretty much what it meant. I mean, that's pretty much what I had it, had heard it described as. Well, uh, uh, you know, the law of attraction, or, or, or call it, uh, you know, the law of karma, which is basically a form of the, it, it's a different way of describing the same thing. These things can be misunderstood. Or they can be misinterpreted. And a very unfortunate misinterpretation is that somebody would say, that you know, yeah. If you were, if you're doing all these things the way I just said, and a drunk driver swerves into you and crashes your car, well, that's your karma. Mm. You know, well, that's not what karma is about. Karma is not about some magical, mysterious mm-hmm. uh, force that is redirecting everything that happens in the universe just <laughs> to make sure that you get the consequences that you deserve. I mean, that that's a, a, a naive and silly idea. And the idea that the law of attraction is is working through, uh, I, I mean, what are you going to do? Posit, it's the same way as karma. You're going to posit some kind of incredible supernatural force that actually manipulates everything that happens in, in the <laughs> world to appropriately match what what you're attracting to yourself. And then you're going to try to conceive how whatever that is is so damn good at it that they can meet everybody's needs at the same time. Well, that's a little bit unrealistic. It's missing the whole point. It's missing the whole point. You know, the point is that that we do create our realities and we do create ourselves and we act out of that. We act in the reality that we have created uh, as the person that we've created ourselves to be. And in many, many different ways that profoundly affects the experience we have. Like, what is your karma is how, how you respond and react when the drunk driver crashes into your car. Your karma, the karma of one person, means that, well, this is unfortunate, but I can deal with it. These are things I have to do. Uh, I'll do them. Uh, it's no big deal. Things like this happen in life. I've got much more important things to be concerned with, and I'm not going to be unhappy about this. Another person's karma is, oh my God, this is the worst thing that's happened to me. And now, you know, and this comes right on top of this and the other thing. And now what am I going to do about that? And my insurance will go up and, you know, blah, 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 you know. So that's your karma. But in many other circumstances, I just used that. I mean, you know, I could have used another example. You're walking down the street and meteorite from outer space that started a hundred million light years away just happened to strike the earth where you were placing your foot, you know. 
and, and you're going to say, well, was my karma retroactively caused that piece of intergalactic stuff to happen to be going in just the right direction to arrive here now. That's nonsense. On the other hand, there are a whole lot of things we do that make things happen to us. You know, you complain about, uh, you know, I got mugged. Well, what were you doing on that street at that time? Yeah, and what were you thinking about instead of thinking about, you know, the environment you were in and the circumstances that might happen? Or you could choose, you know, all kinds of examples. But when things happen to you, you play a role. Why are you there? What were you doing? What was on your mind? What were your intentions? You know, were you were you walking down that street when you got mugged because you were too cheap to take a taxi? Maybe too poor. Even, even though you even though you had the money. Or was it because you were, could be because you were too poor? You know, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. Somewhere in that mix of reasons, there are those things that you can trace right back to yourself. But to suggest that absolutely everything can be traced back to you, that's, that's absurdity. And that, and it's not very helpful. Because it, it, yeah, that's a different world, too, and I think it's like really important to acknowledge that. Like, if I walk down the street at 12 o'clock at night, it's a different world than if you walk down the street at 12 o'clock at night. It's just different. It's a different world. Because we're right? seen in different ways by different people, you know? We're seen like yeah. one of us is, you know... You know and, I mean? and you make your choices, and you take your chances, you know? You decide to take a hike to the South Pole, you know, you might make it back alive and you might not. Yeah, but it's a different story. Like, if I go hike in the desert by myself, it's a different story than if you do, you know? It's just reality that that's true. No matter no matter what you do. But anyway, there's another level to this, too. Uh, let me take this to this other level. If you can, if, if you, at least you can follow me that, that uh, we do play a very significant role and everything that happens to us. But to try to attribute everything, you know, bring mm-hmm. it back to, you know, that happened to you, that's all your faults, your karma, you know, that's that's uh, that's not very helpful and productive. But a lot of the problem that we deal with is it has to do with this, this sense of still being a self in a, in a world and being separate from that world. As long as we take the totality of what is, suchness, isness, whatever it is, and we divide it into two parts, and we label one part of it the self, then there is going to be a struggle at the boundary between the self and, and what is not self. Can you see that? Mm-hmm. It can't be any other way. As long as, as long as you're functioning on the basis of this boundary, there are, there are things that uh, you want and things that you don't want, and there's some kind of a struggle there. If we look at it in another sense, you're walking down the. Uh, the, the sidewalk and uh, a meteorite comes from 100 million light years away. Well, all of the atoms and molecules of the body that's walking down 
that sidewalk and the sidewalk and the meteorite are all part of the same wholeness. And so, in that sense, every and if you every every part of it is interconnected, mm-hmm. has always been causally interconnected. So, you know, if you, if you're willing to own your belonging to the whole and the isolation of this one part of the whole as being separate. Uh, if you're willing to to own your part of the wholeness, well then, uh, you you you're you're responsible for everything because you're you're you are everything. But I, this is a thing that was advocate a little bit. But I'm thinking about how even if everything can be the whole, it doesn't necessarily mean that things don't need to be kept separate. For instance, like your stomach and What's in your stomach and what's in your brain is part of your whole being, but if you switch them around, if you put your stomach stuff into your brain, you'd be dead. <laughs> I don't know. This is kind of making me think about those kind of questions. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would definitely suggest that you don't do that. I guess it means, I guess I'm just thinking about how... You probably wouldn't survive the operation. Yeah, that this whole idea of being part of the whole doesn't mean that you don't also watch out for things. It's kind of a dual thing, I guess. It doesn't mean that you... I guess I see it as kind of an additional thing, you know? It's like, it's another perspective. It's like another way to see things. But it doesn't really mean that you give up this other perspective when you need it to, you know, get out of the way of the truck that's coming. Or, <laughs> or I don't know, I guess that's how I can understand it. Yeah, that's for sure. It does not mean that you don't get out of the way of the truck that's coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. What it means, though, is... If you can, if you can give up being totally preoccupied with being a separate self, mm-hmm. and if you can come to a place of acceptance of what is, then the world of diversity and change, mm-hmm. instead of being something that you struggle with, becomes something that you can be in a state of wonder with. I guess, uh, I, I don't know, I think I can see it as like a different perspective on what happens in your mind that gets called self. You know, you get a different perspective on it and then you see it like, oh, look. It's just a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, bottom line, your mind is the problem. <laughs> your mind is the problem. Yeah, but this has to be the solution too, I would guess. <laughs> well, and as as a matter of fact, it is. If there is such a thing. Because the only way that you, as a body mind complex, can deal with the mind as a problem, you know, it, you got to do it by your own bootstraps. So you've got to use your mind to solve the problem of your mind. But your mind is the problem. If you're not blissfully happy in every moment of your life, your mind is the problem. And since and there's nothing else that's going to solve it other than you making the right use of your mind because you don't have anything else to work with. See, that's funny because even the perspective of somebody being blissfully happy in every moment of their life is kind of monstrous in my perspective. It's like, man, don't things happen that make you feel awful? <laughs> you know, I mean, do you, do you read the headlines that there's been like, you know, no, that's part a of war being, declared and you're that's like, That's part oh, of happy. being blissfully happy. happy. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. 
What's that? Well, if you would miss being miserable, then part of being blissfully happy is to be miserable some of the time. <laughs> well, it just seems like a, big, a major... I don't know... It's like the Christian idea when somebody goes to heaven and you're supposed to be happy in heaven even if your friends are in hell. And I don't get it. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, doesn't make sense. Happy if you see doesn't make sense to me. You care about in hell, you know? my, my suggestion would be that you uh, get together with everybody else in heaven and convince them to see things your way. <laughs> Overthrow the administration, go liberate everybody from hell. <laughs> I think, uh, yes. Can you just elaborate on what you said there, that it would be, part of being blissfully happy would be in circumstances where you should be miserable, you're blissfully happy in that misery? Is that kind of what you're implying, that that's what comes out of all of this work? Um, in a way, yes. You see, I mean, we use words like miserable, and, and there's an important distinction to yeah. make that... that uh, To be, to be happy doesn't mean that you have some kind of vanilla, plain, you know, plain vanilla pablum, uh, tasteless existence. You know that that uh, it means that you totally accept and are willing to engage with what your life is joyfully, to joyfully, happily engage with what life is, that doesn't mean that, that everything is, uh, I mean, yeah, the idea of heaven, you'd get really tired after a while of all those robes and angels, you know? <laughs> in which case you wouldn't be happy, in which case heaven is really, that kind of heaven is not the answer to happiness. But happiness is happiness and uh, you know I, I have uh, if accept acceptance is the ultimate happiness being completely satisfied and contented with what is is the kind of happiness that I'm talking about so there may be pain involved, but if you if you can accept pain, then pain is not a cause of unhappiness. Pain is just pain. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Right. It's just it's an interesting distinction to point out that you know when you you've reached that stage, you're still feeling the whole gamut of emotions. It's just entirely your reaction to them, more or less. I mean, I guess you wouldn't experience the same kind of unpleasant severity. In a, well, you wouldn't experience any unpleasantness, but you well, still You'll continue to experience the entire gamut of emotions. Uh, you'll, you'll experience as much of the entire gamut of the emotions as you still need to as a part of your happiness. You know? And... This is something that, you know, may at first not seem right, but if you think about it, there have you not known people that were happy being unhappy? 
They, you know, I mean, it's a perverse mm-hmm. kind of thing, but, you know, and, and you would quite honestly, if you were really honest with them, have to say to them, well, if you're happy being unhappy, it's all right with me. You know. <laughs> but to be, you know, in, in that sort of conflicted, being satisfied with being unhappy, that's not a very healthy mental state. And people do get over that. People really do do that, but people do get over that too. So being happy with the world that you live in as it is, is completely possible. Even while your mind may continue to react in certain ways. But that doesn't mean that your mind continue, needs to continue to react in those ways. Yeah, I just have a hard time imagining and thinking of situations like my sister's kid died, you know. It's like, I can't imagine something like that happening and you not being unhappy, <laughs> at least for a while. I mean, it seems like inhuman not to be unhappy if something like that happens or not to feel sad. That's, yeah. Well, and for so long as a person would need to have that kind of grief in order to be happy, they will have that kind of grief. Yeah, but it's like, isn't it about... I mean, it's not just about them, you know? I'm talking about the happy, unhappiness that we don't want to have, and there's a lot of that. I'm confused. Because <laughs> it's funny, because I don't think that you mean this, but then it sounds like, well, what about... The other person, I mean, don't we have really, really have real feelings for other people and you really are unhappy when something happens to somebody that you care about? Of you know, course you do. Having that yeah. connection with other people, you know, it's not all just in yeah. your own head. This, you know, this, you're trying to understand something that you can't understand right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it, it means just the opposite. It means that you could care much more deeply for other people. Our grief is concerned with ourselves more than when someone dies. It's our loss we're grieving. I don't know, I guess I don't totally agree. I'm thinking of things that happened to well, other people that made me unhappy and I don't think it was all about myself. Well, and, and it may not have been, but uh, but examine that and you will find that you know a, a lot of these things that we think are normal uh, that uh, and, and you think it would be inhuman not to be that way are, are actually coming from a selfish place. And they don't need to be there and they're not serving anything. So anyway, I, I think we've gone too far with this. Uh, Blake, do, you had something you want to say. Well, I kind of went on past it, I think. <laughs> well, that's all right. Maybe it would be good to go back to there. Well, uh, the... It, all that earlier discussion was recalling a story that Jack Cornfield told about a mm-hmm. Vietnam veteran that had experienced a lot of trauma and had seen a lot of horrendous things in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he was had, probably had post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, had a lot of nightmares, waking up in a cold sweat type of nightmares and things mm-hmm. like that, and pretty much haunting him. And so he started doing mindfulness meditation and started being with his mind, did a retreat, and I guess during the retreat all those images started coming up You know, while, while he was meditating during the day. But he worked with them mindfully and stuck with them. And as a result of that, he was able to heal. At least all the nightmares went away after that. After he was able to bring them up and deal with them mindfully, all the nightmares went away and a lot of the waking 
trauma went away as well. <coughs> yes. Yes, and that's that's one of the uh, real profound benefits of meditation is that you know I, I I I have seen so many people have things come up from their past that were wounding them. You know, in the case of this veteran. Uh, I'm sure he was very aware of it. He had the nightmares. He knew what the problem was. But a lot of times people don't know what their problem is. Their life's not working. But they don't even know why it's not working. But in meditation, these things will come up. And the importance of, of them coming up isn't that they can you know, analyze them uh, and, and do some sort of psychotherapy. It's that they can just see them and recognize them and accept them and let them go. Which is really what this uh, this uh, veteran that Jack Cornfield was working with was doing was accepting and letting go. You don't need to keep reliving these things from your past over and over and over again. At some point, you can leave them behind, and uh, meditation gives you an opportunity to do that in two ways. It creates sufficient uh, calmness in your mind that these things that are tend to be buried somewhat deep in the psyche can come to the surface and, and be revealed and exposed. But the other thing is, to the degree that you learn to practice successfully, you've trained yourself to to accept, just to be. You know the the words of your quote to be to take an open uh, an open approach. You're just open to whatever is there, and you can you can see it for what it is, uh, devoid of all of the baggage and other stuff you've attached to it for so long, which has made it obscure and difficult to really see. You can see it for what it is. You can accept it for what it is. And so much of past psychological trauma is not being able to accept that it's past. You know, it, we keep reliving it at a sub, subconscious level or in dreams or things like that, you know, rather than coming to the place of recognizing that the past is past. The past does not exist anymore. Past completely does not exist. <laughs> it's not there, and that oh, that 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 just that's a magically cleaning realization that it's, it's not there anymore. It's over with. It's done with. What there is now, there's the here and now. There's the present. You know, which is which is the result of the past. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was going to say the, the past continues into the present on. in certain ways. Is right. It lingers on. I mean, the past is always in the present, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Even even though you have maybe you can let it go and dispel it, it still comes sometimes to haunt you in strange ways. You know, uh, uh, either through memory or through uh, uh, another experience along the way mm-hmm. that resembles that past and deja vu. Sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or it's actually changed your brain in certain ways and stuff. I mean, or your body, you and like. Yeah, it does. It does reprogram yeah. you in some ways. Yeah. And the 
and the the worst thing about it is that it will keep affecting the way you experience your life and the way you react to situations and the way you relate to people uh, as long as as long as long as you're holding on to it and as long as it's functioning as though it were a part of the present rather than what it properly is, which is a part of the past. It's very true. Families are a good example of that. They are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I, who it says we we spend uh, uh, we spend uh, 20 years growing up and 40 years overcoming our childhood or something like that. But you know, another way of saying all of these same things is very important and very profound. Is that you know today is the first day of the rest of your life. You know, and this minute, this minute is brand new. And you can, what you can make of it is, and and the power that. Uh, you have, if you know how to approach it, is, uh, is is quite incredible. But you first have to realize what's holding you back. Anyway, I, I don't know if uh, discussion tonight was really uh, seemed like it wandered a bit. I hope it was helpful or useful in some ways. I like the way it started out, though. <laughs> but uh, for me. Uh, I think it's a very important theme of the Dharma that was uh, underlying all of this discussion is the importance of acceptance, of letting go, uh, of being in the present. And behind all of this, if you look carefully, was is uh, the same thing that Buddha told us when he said that life is full of suffering, but all of our suffering is caused by our craving for things to be different than what they are. And when we can let go of that craving for things to be different than what we are, what they are, then the suffering goes with it. And that is what allows us to come into our full full potential as conscious human beings. That is what allows our Buddha nature to come forth rather than our neurotic 
human nature. So, uh, learning to get to that place of being in the flow. You can be in the flow in playing a tennis game and uh, play an absolutely beautiful game of tennis. If you can be in the flow in your life, you can live a fantastic life. And you can start right now. You can start whenever you're ready to start. Shall we sit for half an hour before we call it a day and go to bed?